and welcome to Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. I am one of two Hannahs, Hannah Hart, and today we will be discussing not only the mind, not only the spirit, but also the body. Joined by our expert guest, Dr. Hannah Blank, we're going to be having a conversation starting shortly. Enjoy! Uh, Hannah, thank you. Dr. Hannah Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you uh, here today. Um, and I also am always excited when there is another another Han, you know, not necessarily a Hannah, but a Han, when, there's a, when I'm in the company of another Hannah. <laughs> yeah, there aren't enough of us around. No, there aren't. I have. Yeah, I really like it. H-A-N-N-E. I love it. And I love that your last that your that your last name is blank, too, because it makes it, um, you know, like fill in the, you know, my mother (laughs) used to joke that she should have named me Felinda. (laughs) Like fill in the (gasps) Felinda blank. I'm so I'm forever grateful that she did not manage to do that. I think my father put his foot down. Yeah, I was like, no, we're we're not we're not doing that. However, it is enough for us to know um, that that your mother was uh, clearly good at making very very silly jokes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, let's uh, let's introduce you to our listeners, our earbuds here at Analyze This. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your expertise, and and what you do today? Okay. Well, my background, I am one of those people who doesn't have a really straightforward career path. I was a professional musician for a long time. Um, And then I left that and I started writing books. And then eventually I decided to go and get my PhD like you do. And Mm -hmm. um, so I went and I did that. And so I have a, I have a PhD in history. I also um, have done graduate work in bioethics. Um, so I'm also trained as a bioethicist, and uh, most recently I just spent five years teaching at Denison University in Granville, Ohio. Um, wow. But my sort of my my intro here, or my in, in in terms of this podcast, is that I've written a bunch of books, and a lot of them have to do with um, different aspects of the body and, and self-image, body image, um, and how all of that connects to basically culture and how we live in society and how we get along in the world. Mm. So almost from a, uh, a, bi- a historical bioethical perspective brought to you through the vessel of a musician artist. <laughs> right. Who also happens to be a fat person. And I've been a fat <laughs> person all my life. Um, so I am coming at it from um, the perspective of somebody who has, has never been normatively embodied. Mm, um, mm. which gives me some interesting perspectives on things. Well, now when a historian says never, I have to really assume you mean, you know, never. My, I, I think that like in terms of beauty and body image, um, my mother used to joke that if she, that she had always had a very Rubenesque figure and if she had been born during that time um, of like painterliness, she, it would have been the, the peak of society. Um, but I do. Yeah. In the modern era, what we've really kind of like idolized here is that other other type. But you're the expert. Let me let me ask you this. Let's back up for a second, just because um, I I know this is not going to be the focus, but I'm just so curious and it's my show. So I get to ask, what kind of music did you make? I was a classically trained singer. I got my first union card as a singer when I was seven years old. 
and oh. working as a as a, one of those little kid sopranos that sort of runs around in the background in operas and sings you know three notes here three notes there um and i ended up becoming a professional classical singer for a while wow so in that way your body was a tool like is a is a tool for performance i mean did you find that as a child you know through like I guess like when you're when you do a performance art like singing or like dance or like movement, you do form a connection to your body. Or do you feel like that wasn't an inherent part of it? Or does that make sense what I'm asking? Like, it's a very specialized connection to your body, at least when you're a singer. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's all about your breath and about the this thing that you're your body can do that this particular like your that your throat can do. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason to who has a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, it's absolutely, it's, it's, it's completely randomly distributed. Um, mm. and either you, either you have one or you don't, you don't really do anything to deserve it. You don't really, you know, there's nothing that you can do to make it happen if it isn't there. Um, and so in a way it's one of those things that helped me realize that our bodies and our bodily attributes are in many ways completely random. Um, because I know for a fact, I know so many people who have always said, oh, I would love to be a singer. I would love to have a gorgeous voice and they just don't. Um, and you know, you can learn to do better breath support. You can learn to do with the mechanics. Um, but in terms of what kind of sound your body makes, it's either there, it's not. Yeah. Wow. So then going forward into your study of, um, I suppose the, the cultural context, it also must be wild. Sorry. You know, I have to wait for my ADHD medicine to kick in because here's another thought I just had. It must be wild also to be a historian today when so much of history is trying so desperately to repeat itself. But now we have like access to like social media and like uh, connection and community. And it's like even with, um, let's say, women's rights, you know, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, let's move. Let's move the needle backwards. And it's like, well, actually, we have this long, long historical reasoning behind why this must be must stay the way it is today for all other things to kind of come forward. So I guess that must be especially maddening is what I'm saying. Well, yes and no. Um, I like when I, when my students ask about, you know, history repeating, I say history doesn't so much repeat as it rhymes Um, because things are rarely literally the same. Um, But motifs do repeat over and Mm. over and over and over again. Oppression. Oppression, right? Well, power imbalance, right? Power imbalance is one of the constants of human history. And depending on where you look and when you look, um, those issues about power imbalance and who's going to have more and who's going to have less, um, they get settled in different ways and the struggles um, come from different places. Mm. So the trick is to not get so caught up in the particulars of how it's happening in any one particular time that you forget that power dynamics have always been part of human history. It's always been the pendulum. It's always been swinging back and forth. Power dynamics are a part of how society, it's like how humans come together in this power imbalances. And that I just really love what you said. History doesn't so much repeat itself as it does rhyme. Uh, I think that is probably, you've explained it. You've changed my perspective or put into words something I'm 
I've, I've been trying to come to terms with as we, you know, as we, as we, um, oscillate, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in history right now. Being yeah, like, it's, well, yeah, it's tricky, right? Because we see things and we're like, Hey, I've seen this before. Um, but then we start, we look a little closer and because our lives are complicated and the world we live in is complicated, we start going the, but this part's not the same. And that part, if it were exactly the same, we'd know what to do. The reason we don't always know what to do is because it's not exactly the same. No, it's not. It's really not. Yeah. I just, you know, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Cause that gives me, um, the monochrome of like that little, little bit of hope that helps keep you moving forward, even though things look similar to how it was. It's almost like when an, there, in mental health terms, it's like you have an activating event. And it's like, well, this is very similar to something that has happened in the past. And it's like, yes, but you're different today. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you're different. You're, you're, you're in a different place. It's a different day. It's a different time. You have different resources at your disposal. You have different connections with people at your disposal. Um, you know, it's, it's simply not the same. And one of the things that gives me great hope, especially in this particular political moment, is that um, the American economy would completely, uh, completely collapse if women's rights were rolled back too far. So uh, good luck with that. Yeah, right. And, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, are you guys just trying to make sure that you have a never ending labor force? Is that what this is? Is that how far back we're going that like we have to keep procreating so that people so that billionaires can stay rich? I don't think so, man. Like, I yeah. think it's yeah, it's, good a luck little, with it's that. more complicated than that. Yes, um, it's much yeah. more complicated than that. Although, you know, don't get me started on labor force in the United in the United States and the U.S. history and their love of United States love of uh, people we don't have to pay to do our work. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, of, uh, yeah. Enslaving people and enslaving bodies. Speaking of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. So we've, <laughs> we've said it, we've set the cultural context of our conversation today. So speaking of bodies, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about, um, Dr. Blank's books and, um, and, and so much more. So, uh, quickly enjoy this ad and then stay right where you are, unless you're puttering around, which I understand. Uh, okay. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we're back. Today, we're having a discussion about bodies and their relations to ourselves and the context in which we live with Dr. Hannah Blank. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, When you decided to write your first book, how did you pick the topic and the way you would approach it? I didn't, actually. Um, I never set out to write a book. Um, 
Back in the back in the nineties, um, I was kind of looking around and noticing there was a lot of sex positive society, a lot of sex positive feminism, a lot of sex positive activism going on, and I wanted to get involved. Um, so I thought it was really exciting and intellectually and also just personally adventurous and fun and interesting. And one of the things that I noticed was there are all of these people doing all of this interesting um, work and activism, and none of them are fat. And I was also kind of looking around and going, yeah, but a lot of the people that I know who are sexy and cool and interesting and doing interesting feminist stuff are fat. So what, where, where do these two Venn diagrams, you know, where do these two Venn diagrams overlap and, or do they, right? And so um, I started teaching, you know, in that sort of seat of the pants feminist kind of way, I started teaching seminars, um, mostly at women-owned sexuality boutiques, um, basically for fat women to come in and talk about sex and talk about, you know, how can you have a good sex life when you're fat? And, you know, how do you, how do you need to sort of grapple with your own self-image and your own sexuality and your body Mm. shape and size and how society views all of this stuff in order to be able to live in your body enough to have a decent sex life? And so I had been doing that for a while. I I had a zine um, like you did back in the day. Hell Um, yeah. (laughs) And um, and then I got this email out of the blue from this published little niche sexuality publisher in California saying, hey, um, have you ever considered writing a book about this? And I I absolutely had not. Um, I had really, you know, it never crossed my mind, but um, I believe in what, you know, the English composer Arnold Bax said, which is that you should try everything once except incest and folk dancing. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line, right? Uh, yeah, it's um, good. really, man, that, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and so I said, sure, why not write a book? Um, and so with zero preparation, zero planning, and zero knowledge of what I was doing, I wrote one. And wow. um, and it worked out okay. Well, clearly it did, because you went on to write more. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, it's a bad habit. But I have this problem where I keep wanting there to be books about things that nobody's written a book about yet. And so mm. I call it the hole in the shelves problem. You go to the library, and there's just this hole in the shelf where you were hoping a book would be. So right, you're I, looking for this subject, and you're like, oh, it'd be a, it'd be right about here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I end up writing the book. So, I, looking at your wiki right now, um, I, it, it's telling me that your first book is Big Big Love, a source book on sex for people of size and those who love them. Yes, twenty two oh, years that. ago. Twenty two years ago, Un- that is wild. Oh, and then uh, followed by Virgin, The Untouched History. Great title. Loving everything. I'm going to have to buy all of your books. I'm not going to lie. Then we go into Straight, The Surprisingly Short History of Heterosexuality. Uh, fantastic. And most. Uh, and then after that, The Unapologetic Fat Girl's Guide to Exercise and Other Incendiary Acts. <gasps> yeah. The most recent oh. book is actually called Fat. And it came out in 2020 as part of the Object Lessons series that's being published by uh, Bloomsbury. It's a, it's a little book. They're short. They're about 30,000 words. You can sort of read it on the subway. Um, oh, cool. and, and that is a book that's all about fat in all of its many manifestations as, um, as you know, just sort of a substance, as something that we have in our bodies, as um, a macronutrient, you, you name it. 
We've got it in there yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and you probably can, can tell, but um, because we don't discuss weight and fat in a healthy way, I'm unpracticed at having a casual conversation about it because that truly, like truly, you know, um, and that really, I think as a mirror onto myself, I can really see like, oh God, they got me again. So deeply seated inside you that I'm, I'm hesitant to even say the word. Cause it's like been like, so told that it's like, no, that's a bad, it's like a bad word, but like, yeah. why would that be a bad word? So let's start there. Where do people begin when they have not yet started a body acceptance journey? Like how, does that make sense? Because that's, yeah, that's really what does. I would love to talk to an expert about. Like we can go to the meta, we can go to the societal, but like here in Analyze This, it's really about the personal. So a lot of times when people really haven't started um, doing that work, and it is work. Let me let me not you know um, minimize that. This is work. Um, we live in a culture where fat is demonized in like every possible way. Um, although we had a little relief when the paleo people kind of came swooping through with their fat is fine as long as you don't eat anything that didn't come from an animal. Go team. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah, surely this. Hey, you know what? Let's just go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Well, you know, yeah. anything that limits your choices for food intake enough will cause you to lose weight. That's kind of how that works. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we live in this culture where fat and fatness, particularly human fatness, is so demonized and has been for a long time. None of us, we don't have a place to stand outside of that culture where we can sit, look at it with fresh eyes and say, what the heck's going on here? Um, that doesn't exist. And so the first thing that happens when people start thinking about this issue is there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. Yes. Um, you know, how, like you were saying, how, how do you even talk about this? We don't even have the language. I was, you, you know, I wasn't equipped with that language. You weren't equipped with that language. This is language we have to acquire and it's thinking capacity that we have to acquire if we're going to do this work. I mean, yes, I, I can only imagine, you know, um, obviously I have, I have loved ones I can think of, and I would want to imagine them saying like, hey, I've decided to like really love being fat or like really be OK with my body or really love myself. I'm going to go that direction or like that people. Even when you're trying to seek comfort from those you love, they're not equipped with the language to receive it and to help guide you. So then it's like community. Exactly. So it's like so where where would you. Where does someone go next? Let's say they don't want to tell their friends and family because of their own preconceived notions. I mean, as a queer person, it reminds me a lot of realizing I needed queer community to mm -hmm. heal myself, that I, I, I can't heal myself in my cis het heteronormative social juncture. And I spent, honestly, even like the last three years, a real, I, real time focusing on a, a, a chamber, a, sol a fortress of community and solitude. But anyway. Um, well, actually being queer in some ways is a really great um, metaphor and a really great comparison. Uh, as a queer woman myself, I, you know, you, no, you don't find comfort with your queerness sitting in your room by yourself. Um, although the internet definitely helps, right? In a way that that, what, that didn't exist when I was, you know, coming out. 
Um, and in some ways I'm glad that it didn't because it forced me out of the house you know, forced me to go and, you know, find, find other actual humans in 3D. Go to bo- body positivity sex boutiques and be like, you know what? You can have great sex no matter what, how, or like you can view yourself or. Yeah, right. Sorry, yeah. Know. You can, you can be, you can exist in this other context and it can be okay and fun and fruitful and, and you meet people and they're doing the same work that you are. Um, and I don't, I don't like to pretend that any of us have it all figured out. Right. I mean, like as with homophobia, fat phobia begins at home and we are all taught this from little, little childhood. I mean, there are actually studies, I'm not going to get too academic on you, but there are studies on toddlers where they choose pictures of people, you know, fat people, thin people, black people, white people. And as toddlers, you know, barely even verbal they have already internalized that white thin people are the ones they're supposed to pick. Right. Um, so that's how, um, that's how entrenched these ideas are. Yeah. I mean, images, the images you see and what media portrays play a huge, huge, huge part. And what your family says, you know, um, and the kinds of reactions that family members have to people that you encounter out in the world or within your family, you know, like, oh, that's Aunt Pat. Yeah, she's always had a weight problem. Instead of, oh, Aunt Pat's coming over. She is a Scrabble shark. Ah, yeah. You know, there are a lot of things you can talk about when we talk about people, but we choose what we we, we choose particular ones. Right. And you pick up on that as a kid or and, you know, throughout your life. Socialization is is all around you all the time. So if you're seeking, you know, obviously, I would say if somebody is like, man, you know, I'm really trying to come to term. I'm really trying to grow in terms of my body positivity or accept my accept my body for the way it is and live the best, happiest, healthiest life within it. At this point, I would say, well, I think you should read Dr. Hannah or Han, Hannah Blake's <laughs> book, Big, Big Love. So start there, read her entire catalog. Um, but what would you say? um, you know, did did your body acceptance come through the avenue of sex positivity or feminism? Was it? It was both. It was, and it was also honestly the queer community, and it was being um, out in community and looking around at all of these fantastic queer women, and and seeing the ways that queer women reject. Um, heteronormative Eurocentric body standards. And mm-hmm. granted, that's not uniform, right? We, we all know right. that, you know, we all have that little L word problem as well. Um, <laughs> where I, you know, I, the first time I saw the L word, I was like, are, are they supposed to be queer? Cause they all look pretty het to me. I mean, they just read <laughs> so straight you know, thin LA, it's, you know, very primped, very polished. It's, I was like, it serves that, its purpose for its period of time. Right. Like, I, I was just like, where, where is the, the big burly butch with hand tattoos, please? Yeah. I mean, it's not there. That's, that's for damn sure. You know, I actually think that like some of the, like, I guess like most, um, there's something like so sexually like powerful and like giving you your real like authority and owning 
that that ownership we should all always have been given of our own bodies and the way we want to portray them and the way we want to exist. Like you said, that big sexy butch covered in tattoos, who's probably a chef who like, you know, who knows? <laughs> but like seeing that portrayed in society, even in queer society, it's not really what we get to see. So but in queer actuality and queer community, you were able to see exactly. that. Exactly. And I saw this, this amazing diversity. And I like to joke that I was raised by drag queens. Um, cause I came out, um, you know, in the, in the early nineties into a queer women's community that was not very accepting of femmes and, um, but the drag Queens thought I was great. So, um, so I was also spending a lot of time around people who were not gender normative. Mm-hmm. Um, I was spending a lot of time around, you know, people with lush and voluminous chest hair and heels and so I was seeing all of these bodies that were not what culture had, had taught me, you know, were what I was supposed to want or think was sexy or think was amazing. Or, and, and that I thought all of these people's bodies were amazing. All of these people were amazing and they were doing amazing things. And that in creating that sensibility and also that solidarity with other mm-hmm. people whose bodies were were not the you know this heteronormative thin white eurocentric um paradigm was really generative for me it was really really helpful for me so let's talk about the paradigm for the introverts okay let's say like somebody is like well that sounds great if you want to go out and make a bunch of friends or you're feeling very social but what if i'm somebody who wants to to love my body in a new way and i'm an introvert what historical, like that paradigm you speak of, could we explain it? Could we talk more about that to show how, how this is another like system of control or like, I guess the question I should ask is when did that paradigm start or is there a timeline in history? Like, I, you know what I mean? I'm trying to be yeah. the subheading on the textbook and I'm no good at it. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I will get there in just a second, but first I'm going to say, if you're an introvert and you don't want to go out and hang out with people, go a- absolutely anywhere that is outdoors, that has lots of people moving through it, wear your mask, mm. you know, be smart, but you know, go sit on a park bench on a busy street or a busy corner, wherever, and look, actually look at people's bodies. You don't have to talk to them. I promise it's okay. Um, but if you actually pay attention to the bodies you see in the world, in alive, in their natural habitat, you will notice that they run an amazingly large gamut. And no matter how weird or aberrant you think your body may be, you you are you are not even close. You really aren't. You exist. You amongst you amongst the rest of the human species. Here you are. Congratulations. Um, and we all run around in these weirdly shaped meat sacks. Congratulations. You've got one too. Um, (laughs) because just that from a, from a really pragmatic perspective, just realizing that we, we all have bodies and, you know, we all, all, we get up in our heads and we think every, it's fine for everybody else to not be perfect, but it's not okay for me. Or like, because I'm not perfect, because I'm already not this one aspect of myself, why even try to be the others? Why yeah. even like, it really, I, I would, I, I believe that the relationship to the body, unlocking that will help 
will only improve all aspects of your life. You're like, oh, like, because so many people are so trained to be literally disconnected, dissociate, dissociated from their their bodies out of shame, out of whatever. And that, you know, in the mind, body, spirit, mindful living analogy, body plays a part. Yeah. I mean, everything comes to you through your body, you know, and you can choose to like that or not. That's, you know, that's up to you, but it's still there. Yeah. You, you don't like get everything- to skip out on having a body. Correct. Correct. You don't get to skip out on having a body. And that's something I came to terms with um, myself even. And I, I'm not I'm not someone who's ever experienced that particular feeling towards my body, but I've experienced other negative feelings towards my body. I mean, everybody has them. And I remember when I started my current therapy work saying to my therapist, I walked in, I sat down and I said, I'm here so that I can connect below my neck. I feel like I live my entire life from the shoulders up and I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to, I want to feel what's going on. And she's like, well, what are you feeling right now? And I was like, nothing. I just said that that's what I want. So this is going to be our work. So uh, excuse me, we don't know each other. And then like a year later, I was like, my chest is tight, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it takes a while to, um, to develop that facility. Right. Because it's very convenient, not only for um, the form of Christianity that's most prevalent in the United States, which believes, you know, the, the body is basically inherently sinful and bad. Um, so we don't want to pay any more attention to it than we absolutely have to because danger, danger. Um, and I've often said, you know, as far as as far as Protestant Christianity, it's stranger danger. Like we yeah. don't know what this is below the neck. Um, and so anything that it might do could potentially be dangerous to us, which is a slightly um, effed up way of thinking about this thing that you live in, um, you know, literally and from the- experience the world through, as you said, you, we intake everything through our body. So to cut yep. it out of the relationship, even if society has not handed you a relationship with your body, society has not handed any of us one, but in particular, people who are fat. See, look at me go. (laughs) Look at me go. Um, You have every right to manifest that relationship for yourself in your life. And remember, this is the longest relationship you will ever have. Every other relationship in your life pales by comparison in terms of its duration. So if you want it to be a good relationship, you kind of have to put in the work, right? To make sure that you know what this thing is and what you're doing but you had you had asked about a timeline and the and this is actually a question I love because we don't have a good timeline um historically speaking we have this sort of wishful mythology that back in the old days you know um people's bodies could look like anything and people were comfortable with that and it was fine and nobody worried about how they looked in a swimsuit and that's true because we didn't have swimsuits Um, but the, but bodies and body expectations and beliefs about what was beautiful and what was not beautiful have changed many, many times. All you have to do is go to any art museum and look at the bodies. Um, and depending on where you go and when you go time and space, what people wanted to depict and the kinds of bodies people found worthy of depicting changes. So there is not 
this sort of magic golden age where all fat bodies were considered beautiful or where all bodies with, you know, small boobs were considered beautiful or whatever. It's not true. Um, for much of human history, as far as we can tell, somebody who was relatively, you know, and I say relatively, not by our standards, but by the standards of their time, um, somebody who's relatively plump was considered attractive because it meant that you had enough to eat, which meant that you're probably doing all right, which meant that you might be a catch. Yeah, man, you got some money. You bet. You look like you've been fed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we do in, in art um, around the world we see uh, images of bodies that don't com- necessarily compare favorably to current Western media images mm. of bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're not abnormal bodies. They're not unusual bodies. They're just bodies that have had enough to eat. Human bodies. I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, we really do like to, on the whole, we love to believe that, you know, just as we love to believe that there was a time that, you know, everything was a matriarchy and it was all, you know, peace, love, herbs and bunnies. And that probably didn't exist either, um, as far as we can tell, but we're not trying to return to something. We're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to invent something. We're trying trying to invent something. something. Um, and what we're trying to invent is we're trying to invent a world in which we can see human diversity and not run screaming um, out of fear that this is so different from us that it presents a danger to us in some way, or um, that this is so desirable that it threatens our own ability to exert control. Yeah. Or that the power structure set up is so detrimental that it must be burnt to the ground. So, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I want to, you know, one of the things that people that I'd love to debunk, um, or at least discuss now, I don't want to say debunk that implies I under, I know your opinion on it, but, um, discuss is, um, the relation be- relationship between quote unquote fatness and health, because I read a really interesting piece years ago, um, that really changed my perspective on what we call quote unquote healthy health, this, that like physical body health. Um, And I'd like to ask you about your thoughts and opinions on the subject right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're back. Now, one of the number one, I guess, rebuttals I hear amongst the skinny regarding, like, being people being comfortable with their bodies is these ideas of health and wellness. And like, oh, well, mm. if somebody's overweight, that means that they're unhealthy as they're not treating themselves well, blah, 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 blah. Now, to be fair, one of the most unhealthy lifestyles I've ever gotten close to living was a skinny based lifestyle and the, the Marvel movie lifestyle of 
of 0% body fat and like, look at these muscles and oh my God. And it's like, yes, this is basically a drawing. It's a cartoon. These are cartoonish people. This is not reality. And it's certainly not uh, necessarily a healthy one. Um, is being fat unhealthy? This is, I guess, my question, or can we discuss this area? Um, we can absolutely discuss this. I don't, I think that there are very few things that are inherently unhealthy. The dose makes the poison. Um, and that's, I mean, damn God, I love listening to you talk. I'm buying all your, but I love the way you speak. I'm like, wow, the dose makes the poison. But you know, people oh have been God. saying that about actual drugs and, you know, and, and herbs and, you know, distillates and, things like that and tinctures for, you know, for at least a thousand years. Um, because there are, there are always things that in small amounts can help you and in large amounts can hurt you. Um, and that is a lot of how I look at fatness and health. Um, bodies generally do fairly well somewhere in the middle two thirds of a bell curve. Um, you know, and that's true of everything. That's true of, of being on the underweight end of, of the bell, that you know, bell curve. It's true of being on the quote unquote overweight end of that bell curve, right? It's true of even th how much water you drink. I mean, you can die of drinking too much water. Um, it's, it's not pretty. <laughs> so anything that people tell you is healthful is probably healthful in moderation. To an extent, yeah. Yeah, right? And even then, it's not going to be helpful for everybody all the time. Um, because bodies really are wildly different. Um, and people's, people's tolerance for particular things in terms of how their bodies function and how their bodies react is wildly different. So we have to bear in mind first that... Um, this idea that fat is not healthy comes from an idea that all bodies are supposed to be one way. Right. There it is again. And, and once <laughs> we let again, go, the, the power. Yeah, yeah. Once we let go of that idea that all bodies are inherently supposed to be one way, boy, does it get complicated fast. And well, then we, it becomes unique. And we don't like it when things about bodies become complicated fast. Again, this is stranger danger. We don't know this, this meat sack that we carry around somewhere below our chins, right? So, oh crap, it's not the same as this person over here and that person over there. What does that mean? You know, yeah. one of the questions that, um, that people get, that doctors get, and that I've gotten a lot from students is just people coming up and saying, is whatever it is, you know, is my ear normal? Is my penis normal? Is my butt normal? And you almost always, the answer is, yeah. I mean, normal is a very wide, wide thing. Yeah. Um, normal and, is 8 billion bodies. Right. You know, they, they don't all look the same. They don't all work the same. And I think too, that that's also true in terms of health. If we think that we, we think, tend to think that bodies should all be the same. We also think that health is the same. Mm for all people. Health is not the same for all people. Um, not all bodies are capable of this sort of medical textbook standard of health. Um, mm. Just using myself as an example, I'm one of you know the hundreds of thousands of um, people who are diagnosed female at birth who have polycystic ovaries, mm. right? And mm -hmm. who have all the symptoms of this thing called polycystic ovarian syndrome. I PCOS. Yeah. I didn't create yeah. it. I didn't ask for it. It showed up. 
Um, and what that means is that I can only be quote unquote healthy within the parameters that my PCOS body will do. Um, so for instance, my body is never going to use insulin the way that somebody else's might. And that's not because I did something wrong. It's because this thing showed up, you know, this aspect of my body, it exists the way it exists. Um, I have a, I have a colleague who's deaf from birth and I asked her once, um, if she ever wondered what it would be like to be hearing. And she said, no, why would I? Yeah. Yeah, this is just what my body does. You know, it's what mm. my body's always done. I have no idea what it would be like to be different. So why would I even wonder about it? And she said, I think it would be more convenient. But it was, it was, she's just like, oh, why would I even worry about it? And I loved that conversation because her deafness put her in a place where she didn't really have the option to consider her body functioning in another way. Right? It just mm. is what it is. Um, but we have all been schooled to believe, and this is a pretty historically recent thing, right? Within the last 150 years or so to believe that we can perfect our bodies and that this optimal state of health, right? The optimal wellness people who crack me up every time, right? That that's, that's actually a thing that exists in the world. It's not. What if your hormones have a different baseline, bro? Like, what are you talking about? Optimally well for your body in this particular moment in your life. Um, You know, I'm I'm perimenopausal. You know, doing all of that exciting stuff. And what what feels healthy to me now is not what felt healthy to me when I was in my twenties. And that's and and what I'm really hearing is that that's not only okay, but necessary. If you're going to have a happy, healthy relationship with your body, which is a part of a happy trifold relationship to your life. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have a body, it's necessary. You can be happy with it or not. That's really, you know, that's up to you, but your body is good. Bodies are going to do weird shit. They just Mm -hmm. are. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, strap in because it's coming. Um, so, um, and I, and I really deeply understand the urge that people have to believe that they have control over what their bodies do and will do. Um, we all want to believe that that's true, right? We all want to believe that if I just, you know, eat Uh, kale four times a week, then I'm never going to get COVID. Well, COVID doesn't give a crap whether you've eaten kale four, four times this week. Yeah. That's not how COVID works. Yeah. And in fact, maybe missing out on that group dinner with your community might have been a better dinner than sitting at home eating the kale that you want so you don't get COVID. Like right. it's com- it, it's com- it, you, you brought up PCOS and I've been dying to to share this. But like this is exactly it's not we so much want to blame ourselves and to con- for for our bodies responding in different ways to our efforts like being like, well, then it's my fault and it's I'm not have putting enough effort and that I've done something to deserve this. When in the reality, you know, everybody's body is different and you are living in only yours. My, my partner, she, uh, my wife, she, you know, grew up playing sports, had a very athletic body her entire life, mid-20s hits, boom. She also gets diagnosed with PCOS. And after her mid-20s, her body and her ability to exercise and 
shed fat or do whatever, you know, she was doing, build muscle, la la la. She was building, she built muscle great, but it changed. And that was really frustrating because she remembered herself as a teenager. And yeah. that, and that was her standard she was holding herself to. Fortunately, after six or seven, like where we are today, she's like, we have totally different bodies. I go work out once a week and I get definition. I build muscle really fast and shed fat really, really fast. She works out three times a week just to stay at par. And that was a source of internal conflict and a relational conflict because I would be like, well, maybe I should just stop working out. And then I'm like, Hannah, you're codependent. Stop. Uh, <laughs> but for her, now she's at peace with it. She's like, oh, yeah, I have PCOS. So I, this is what it looks like now. That's, mm-hmm. that's me. This is where I bloat. This is where I gain weight. This is how I am now. But yeah. that took therapy and effort. That took the work that you described. Yeah. And it, it really is work. And, um, and it's, it's never a done deal, right? You're never finished um, because your body keeps changing. Um, I, <laughs> I recently uh, hung out with my 98-year-old grandmother, who is wow. fantastic. And, um, you know, and I asked her how she was doing. And I really, and I really love her approach, which has, which has formed over 98 years of her living in her body, which is, she said, I'm fine. I can still fasten my bra in the back. And most people my age can't do that because they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's, and, that's excellent. You know, and that's kind of how you have to roll with it is that your body's going to do what it's going to do now in this yeah. moment for you. And, you know, next week, next year, in 10 years, it's going to be doing something different. And it's natural. It's only human to get frustrated that it's not doing the same thing that it used to do, or it's not doing the thing that it did before you had to take X medication or, you know, or before, you know, COVID kept so many of us inside all the time or whatever. But, you know, that's, that's life. Life is not static and neither is your body. And your body is, could be totally different from your biological family members. It really is as unique as snowflakes and fingerprints and all of those beautiful, magical fractals, just crazy shit, man. And I, su- I suppose, you know, as we, as we wind down, I would love to invite people to explore the journey of how to find love for their body because it is solely and truly yours. And it will be, like you said, the longest relationship you'll ever have longest relationship you're ever going to have. And also it's the one you've got. If you spend all your time waiting around for another one to magically arrive or to arrive through lots of hard work, you're wasting time. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. Well, I want everyone to find you. Um, where can people go if they want to hear more from you or want more direct, um, I guess perspective too, you know, like I just, we're winding down um, this podcast. And one of the things I really, really wanted to make sure that people heard was that um, we've talked a lot about trauma in the body from my, my experiences, but in terms of body weight, body image, body positivity, don't shy away from wanting to find out how to love yourself. And it's okay if you're not there yet. You know, yeah, it's always a work in progress. And um, even people who you think have have it all figured out and are always at peace with their bodies, all of us have that day when we're just like, what is this blob? That was my, Um, my, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What is this blob? What the hell? What am I, what is happening? (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay. You know, because again, things change. You know what that blob is? It's yours. 
It's yeah, yours. it's yours. I mean, at half, turn it into a party palace. I mean, have fun with it. You <laughs> might as well. Um, you know, if you want to put on a new balcony, go go nuts. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, and this is one of the places where I think that fatness is inherently queer, is that we're saying, you know, that our society is telling us that only one kind of body is really valuable. And I'm going to turn around and say, screw you, because I have a body and this is my vehicle for moving through the world. And therefore, it's inherently valuable. It makes me possible. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Too bad. I'm here anyway. Mm. Yes, this is my vehicle for moving through the world. And that makes it inherently valuable. Yes, you have value. You have worth. I um, if people want to find out if people want to follow your work or buy your books, um, as I am going to do shortly after this podcast or after we're done recording, where where can people find you on the Internet in a place where you wish to be found? Um, the the Internet, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Signal Hannah Blank on Twitter. Um, I have a website. It's in the process of being updated. You can also find all my books on bookshop.org, um, which is much better than uh, the non-indie bookstore versions. So I encourage you to use that or go to your go to your local indie bookstore and just say, hey, you know, hook me up. Um, that works, too. Um, but the that's, best place to find awesome. me these days is on Twitter. Okay, awesome. Again, that's uh, Hannah Blank, H-A-N-N-E-B-L-A-N-K. I just followed you. I hope that uh, you guys follow too. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I know that I have truly benefited from it. And if you are an earbud listening, considering um, considering inviting your body into your life, uh, I would say start this episode over and buy all these books, man. Yeah, you can do it. I believe in you. (laughs) Thanks so much. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.